What is going on, folks? Back at it again with a 20th and Blake podcast, part of MileHighSports.com. I'm your host, Luke Zalman. Um, dropped to a weekly podcast, so I'm thinking every Sunday we're going to be pushing one of these out. Um, the latest one I think you'll find pretty interesting. I think um, the subject matter, all of it's going to revolve around the three big changes that are needed for next year as far as in-house changes. Um, it's not an all-conclusive list. But I think that a lot of them are stuff that, you know, people have seen but didn't really know what the change was. Um, so I'm just going to kind of go over what the changes are. Um, and also Jeff Hoffman. Um, that's where we're going to start. Jeff Hoffman, um, his latest start, I mean, he once again showed showed a little bit. I mean, five and two-thirds, allows three earned runs, struck out eight. Um, the first four innings, he allowed one hit. Um, the fastball looked good. The curveball looked very good. Um, there, I can't help but feel like there is a good pitcher buried in there somewhere. He, there's a reason he was a top prospect. I mean, six foot five, over two hundred pounds. He is the prototype size for a starting pitcher. And there's just something in there. Who knows? Maybe they will have to just transition him to a long relief role, um, and just have to call it good with that. But I really feel like there is a maybe not an excellent pitcher the way he was kind of can can see you know how people perceived him um, early on in his career he might not be that and that's fine the Rockies may not obviously obviously the Rockies would love to have that they would love to have that front of the line type guy um, but it it just may not be there so now. Either you can get rid of him altogether, which is what I talked about in my article that went up today, or you can keep him and you can figure out a new role for him. You can put him, like I said, long relief. Um, you can just let him, you know, the way they've been doing Peter Lambert, they call it baptism by fire. Um, sounds really intense. Um, it's really just letting pitchers pitch through struggles. They really haven't let Hoffman do that to a large degree, especially recently. Last year, they really didn't. This year, they haven't much either. Um, so either they need to just let him pitch and see what he has on a consistent basis. And then if he's not able to put it all together, the fastball doesn't end up reaching its location the way he wants it to. Curveball starts to just get destroyed. Changeup never comes about. Then you say, okay, he's just not for us. And you ship him somewhere else. Um, obviously, they can't get much for him, um, if anything at all. But it would just be one of those things where you just – you get him out of the building. He goes somewhere else. He gets a chance to, you know, rejuvenate his career, different pastures, and you get a chance to move on as a franchise. Um, but I can't help but feel like there's there's a guy in there that can pitch. Um, the two blemishes, the three earned runs, both came on opposite field home runs. Um, the one to Will Myers was a good pitch, uh, low and inside, pretty good pitch. Uh, Manny Machado was a missed fastball up. Um, you know, and that happens to every pitcher. No matter who you are, pitchers miss those fastballs up. It was everything around those two pitches that just really looked like a good pitcher. And it looks like he's starting to figure it out a little bit. And there's no better time than in the September roster expansion. Um, there's nothing to lose. The Rockies are already losing um, nearly every time they go out there. So all the pressure, I would think, would be off of Hoffman at that point. And it's just about going out and executing. If you lose um, a 3-1 game, if you lose, you know, like they did yesterday, a 3-0 game, if you lose something like that, you just you just take it because you're losing anyway. The fact that you held them to three runs, 
Um, offense hasn't given him any support whatsoever in his last two starts. He just has to go out and do his own thing. Um, there's a little more pressure to win games as far as when your offense isn't scoring. There's a little more pressure put on the shoulders of the starter. Um, but overall, I just think right now is the time for Jeff Hoffman. And I really talked about that in my article. So if you haven't read it yet, go on Mile High Sports. Um, should be on the main page. If it's not, click on that little Rockies icon. You'll see it in there. Also, have a story up about Trevor's story and his pursuits of, you know, something better, but also his uncertain future with the Rockies. There's no certainty that he'll be here past his original rookie deal. Um, so be sure to go read that. Wrote about uh, the Rockies award prospects as well. Silver Slugger, Gold Glove. Um, couple interesting names in there. Obviously, Nolan's in there, but two other names in there that are really in contention for um, some hardware this year. So be sure to go check that out as well. But the main emphasis of today's podcast is three big changes that need to be made in-house by the Rockies. The first one that I thought of right off the top of my head is Daniel Murphy and not taking him out of the lineup, not getting rid of him, not anything like that, but just his first base defense. And it's not even his entire scope of his defense. I think the biggest thing he needs to change is just his ability to receive balls from others. He struggled mightily in reception to throws, tosses, um, and it's not uncommon for a guy that started his career at a different position. Obviously, Murphy's been kind of all over the right side of the diamond, um, but as a you know, as mostly a second baseman, receiving the ball is just different. Um, obviously, I never played first base at the major league level, but I did play in high school, and the one thing I noticed is just the process of seeing the ball on the ground, running over to first, and getting your feet in position to receive a throw, whether it's off to the right, off to the left, in the dirt. It doesn't seem like Daniel Murphy has that mastered yet, and I think a really solid offseason of just him training that once again um, could really help him out because he has the play down to his right side. Um, his right with the slide, the good toss to first, he has that. Also has a good feel of the line. He kind of can feel his as far as where he's positioned and playing the line as another boundary. Um, the one thing that, I mean, you're always taught in baseball is to play the line almost like another fielder. You're getting another, you're getting a whole area that you don't necessarily have to worry about. So utilize the line. And I feel like he's done a very good job of that. He also, he, he has a positive mark in defensive runs saved. He has four total and two above average, two runs saved above average. Um, defensive war has him at negative 0.5. So that kind of accounts for a lot of things. Um, and I just think he can, I think he can really improve at first base. I think it's a position that is underrated in its difficulty, but I do think the importance can't be overstated. The importance of having a first baseman that can receive well, that can adjust to wayward throws. It's huge. Express, and I know the Rockies' defense, they have Nolan, they have Trevor Story. Ryan McMahon has also been a good defensive second baseman. He doesn't have to field many offline throws, and maybe that's hurt him. Maybe not being able to experience those as much in games. Obviously, you're not going to start doing it on purpose, but when you have an infield that good and you're getting a throw in the dirt, it can kind of, you know, it can kind of catch you off balance. So I just, I just think being able to work on his first base defense, it's not going to change them from what they are to a 100-win club like the Braves, you know. It's not going to change them all of a sudden, but it will help their overall defense if he can get it together. 
Because I also think his bat's going to improve le- next year. He's going to get a full offseason, and it's going to lead up right into the year. The thing that hurt him worst this year or hurt him most was that he had to play catch-up after he got that finger injury. It's one of the – if you look at it, so you have spring training. Daniel Murphy had spring training, goes through spring training healthy, has a decent, you know, a decent spring training, goes into the year, and then he gets hurt right away. And so basically, most of the year, he had to play catch-up. He had to have an in-season spring training, basically. And it took him a while to catch up. But since the start of June, you know, when he started to get reacclimated to the speed, to the location, he's hit 304 with an 838 OPS. I mean, that's not... If you're getting that out of Daniel Murphy from the left side of the plate, you can't... I don't think as an organization you can be, you know, that appalled by that I think you have to be happy about that and I just think him not having to play catch-up could produce even better results especially with the power um if he's able to time up those fastballs high if he's able to time up the breaking stuff that drops to the bottom of the zone but not out of the zone that doubles power that you know right over the out-of-town scoreboard of course field being able to pop some homers over that I think it's going to come more regularly once he's fully acclimated and doesn't have to deal with that break again. I think that break was one of the biggest problems with his offensive game this year. And I think he's going to reverse it around. He's a major league hitter. He knows how to handle at-bats. Um, it's just a matter of being on the same on the same pace as everyone else. Because not only does he have to catch up with the hitters around him, he has to catch up with pitchers that also went through all of spring training and have experienced all of that. And they've been experienced at in it during the season so they're already on a greater track than him as well as far as his development through the year um so i really think things are going to be solid for daniel murphy in the future i just think his first base defense specifically his receptions of throws um from infielders i think that's the biggest the biggest change that or the biggest improvement he can make that can really help the team second on my list is kyle freeland and his line to the plate um, I know it's kind of intricate. Um, it's not really as intricate, I guess, as you would think. Um, the biggest thing about Kyle Freeland and the biggest problem that he had this entire year was his line to the plate. And when I say his line to the plate, I'm basically referring to his ability when he goes up in his windup and raises his leg and starts to motion towards home plate Everything needs to stay on the same line, and it all needs to be towards the catcher. His hip can't fly open. His shoulder can't fly open early. Because when that happens, the ball goes more over the middle of the plate. The ball, he has a little bit of cut to even his regular fastball. And that ball was cutting directly into the middle of the zone this year because his line was off. And Chris Iannetta was the biggest one that was able to diagnose it quickly in games. But now he's gone. So Rocky's catchers are really going to need to make sure he's staying online. And I think it's one of those things that he can fix in the offseason. I think trying to force him to do that in the regular season just isn't really plausible. I don't think a guy can make, you know, fundamental shifts that big during a game. I don't think I don't think it's possible. I don't think major league hitters are at a spot where you're able to, you know, mess with that type of stuff in a non-spring training environment. Um, And just basically looking at some of his numbers this year, I think his season's over personally, but he may find a way to come back from a groin injury. But his average exit velos on his, just what opponents are hitting, um, 
On his four-seam average was 91.8, slider was 85.8, changeup was 85.5, sinker was 90.6, and his curve was 79.9. Obviously not hugely reliant on that curve, but people really weren't hitting it very well, and it was a successful pitch when he used it. All of his other pitches, nothing too crazy. I mean, his four-seamer was still getting hit decently hard, but it's a faster pitch, so you expect a slightly higher exit below. But if you look at this year's numbers, his four-seam went up to 92, his slider went up to 86.7, his changeup went up to 86.6, his sinker went up to 91.3, and his curve went up to 81.2. There's not a single one of his five offerings that did not have a higher average exit velocity by the opponent this year. 20 starts, 6.98 ERA, career-high 25 home runs, even though he only pitched in 20 starts. It just... It, it's all mechanical. I think obviously a little bit of it creeps into the mental side of it when he's constantly getting bashed when he goes out there. But the biggest thing is just to get his his mechanics back to the way they were in 2018. I don't think his 2.85 ERA is ever attainable again for him, for any pitcher really. I don't think there's such a small, only one pitcher in Rockies history has ever had a better ERA than him in a single season than his 2018 so it's just not something that you expect but if he's able to get back to his mechanics he can be a very good starter all he needs to do is just make that little tweak it's just one of those things i said it's hard to overcome in the in the season so if he's able to mess with his mechanics a little bit get back to his 2018 form he can be a very good starter for them he's not going to be what he was in 2018 but he can be very good. If he can keep that ERA sub four, I mean, you can't ask for much more from him. If he's going out there throwing, you know, six to seven innings, on average allowing two to three runs, having, you know, the four runners in there, as long as he does, as long as he avoids the seven to eight run type ordeals, he'll be just fine. The Rockies will still be able to swing the bat. They're still playing in the same field as the other team so they're still getting the benefit of the huge outfield they're still getting the benefit of each and everything that comes with hitting at Colorado all they need is for him to just keep them in the game and I really think it's attainable with that small tweak the last of my three biggest problems that the Rockies need to fix in-house is their lineup it's something that I've been harping on if you follow me on Twitter you've seen it constantly every time the Every time the lineup comes out and Ian Desmond is in there, I, I, I'm at a loss for words at this point. Ian Desmond hasn't deserved to be in a lineup for a while, but he continues to be in there. And I really feel like money has something to do with it because I don't, he's not good defensively. He hasn't been good offensively outside of two months. Um, there's, I mean, if you're not good at either side of the ball, what are you offering the team? You're not off. He doesn't really offer outlandish speed like a Billy Hamilton. Um, he just doesn't offer them anything. And you can't run your lineup based on money because the money's a sunk cost already. If they're able to trade him and someone takes on the contract, cool. But if he stays in your uniform, you have to pay him no matter if he plays or if he doesn't play. He can sit on the bench and you're still going to have to pay him. He can be in the lineup and hurt your team and you're still going to have to pay him. So why does it make sense to compound your issues by not only overpaying him, but also having him in the lineup hurting your team? He's bottom five in war in the entire league. He's below average at every single outfield position by defensive runs saved. And since the beginning of August, he's hitting right around 200. His OPS is under 700. 
And Rymel Tapia is hitting 306 in that same in that same span. And he also proved he can he proved that he's capable of handling the leadoff spot as well. There's no reason why Desmond should be playing over Sam Hilliard, why he should be playing Rymel Tapia, or even Jonathan Daza. Why it's it's a little soapboxy for me, but why in the world when your team is already sunk, are you not adjusting the lineup to develop young guys? It's something that has held them back for a couple years now from being their true, you know, apex form as far as having good young talent, having talent that's getting better throughout the season. It needs to change next year. You cannot dictate your lineup based on how much a guy is getting paid, what kind of leader he is in the clubhouse. If he's a leader in the clubhouse, that is great. He's Ian Desmond has multiple multiple people have told me great leader in the clubhouse, huge reason why Trevor Story stepped it up, but that can't dictate playing time on the field because he can't mentor you on the field. If you want to have him sit in the dugout, guys come in, talk to him, get some lessons, totally cool. But if you're going to change the culture from one of the worst teams in franchise history to a winning one, you have to play the players that make a winning difference. You cannot play the ones that get paid the most. You can't have Brian Shaw, Jake McGee, and Wade Davis receiving a majority of the opportunities when they've been ineffective. When they're ineffective, they need to go through the same exact stuff that a young reliever would go through. They need to have their spots picked more selectively to put them in the greatest area to succeed. Not when there's two guys on base, the starter just had a good start, and Brian Shaw blows it. That can't happen, and I I can't think of a reason why it's happening besides the financial ties that are to this player's. I think that that's also going to kind of revolve into the out-of-house change. Obviously, that's not an all-inclusive list on in-house changes, and I could go on for hours about their out-of-house changes they need to make, but they absolutely have to find a veteran starting pitcher. They have to find him somewhere, whether it's in the trade market or the open market. They need someone who has been battle-tested and who can succeed in the big moments. I mean, think about the teams that have been successful the last couple of years. The Dodgers. How many young starters did the Dodgers have? They have Rich Hill. They have Clayton Kershaw. They had Alex Wood for a while. They were even rocking Kenta Maeda, Hinjin Ryu. They're all veterans. Obviously, a guy like Walker Buehler, cool. He's a great starter, and he's young. But the Astros, too. Now they have Granke. They have Cole. They have Verlander. The Red Sox had David Price. They had Chris Sale. They had... Uh, Rick Porcello, the Yankees, J.A. Happ, they had, um, they just brought in, I don't remember why I can't remember his name right now, uh, big tall lefty from um, Canada, came over from the Mariners, can't remember his name, but the point is that the veterans need, there needs to be a veteran in the rotation, you cannot continue to rely on Kyle Freeland, on Herman Marquez, on John Gray, on Jeff Hoffman, on Peter Lambert. You need an influx of veteran in there. And Tyler Anderson does not is not that. I know that sometimes it's like, oh, well, they have Chad Bettis, who's a veteran. They have Tyler Anderson, who's a veteran. They also have never been that good in their careers. They've had flashes as starters. But you need a guy that has seen what it, what it takes to be supremely successful and he can impart that on the rest of the staff, and he can keep it calm when the games are the biggest. That's one of the biggest changes out of house. And 
I'm not one for pitchforks when people are saying so-and-so should be fired, so-and-so should be released, so-and-so should be fired. Most of the time they're being a little obtuse about it. They're not looking at the full picture. But this has to be a do-or-die offseason for Jeff Freidich. I don't know how it can be excusable for him to continue to not make successful moves and not do much to improve the team but still get the credit. The teams that have gone to the playoffs were made of players that he didn't account for. Herman Marquez, sure, he made that one really good trade, but Brian Shaw was a terrible signing. Wade Davis was a terrible signing. Jake McGee's been a terrible signing. Ian Desmond's been awful. Daniel Murphy hasn't been amazing yet. I think he will get better, but there is not any moves that he's making that are making them substantially better, and that just can't exist. You can't have a general manager and a front office team that is not making your team better because then they are absolutely worthless. There's no reason to have them. So I think that looking around baseball, the best GMs, the best RAN teams are the ones that are successful right now, and that's going to continue to be the trend. It's not going to change. So I really feel like it is a do-or-die offseason for Jeff Reitus as far as improving the team. Um, I went over the in-house changes. There's tons more that they could do. There's a ton of out-of-house changes. Um, I just touched on bringing in a veteran starter, but there are so many other things that they could do and that are necessary for them to be able to rebound from this season because last season is looking more anomalous than this season. Last year, it feels like the, okay, that happened once, but it's not going to happen again with that group, with that cast of characters. I think that it's going to take, it's going to take movement and they're going to need to do something if they want to compete again, if they want to go down the development trail and start trying to develop for the future and tank, quote unquote, then that's then that's fine. But their moves need to reflect that and they need to have a plan in place because right now there's no plan in place for the future or the present. So something needs to change. But be sure to keep listening in. Be sure to rate, subscribe, comment, do whatever you have to do. Be sure to keep checking out my high sports um, we dropped the takeaways. People don't care about game recaps when teams are losing like this. So be sure to check in. We're always going to have something interesting, some type of in-depth piece um, about something that maybe you, the fans didn't think about, maybe other pundits of the team didn't think about. So be sure to keep logging in. Be sure to keep checking. Um, podcasts every Sunday. My next one may have MLB.com's Thomas Harding. Still trying to work that out. But be sure to keep listening in, and thanks for all the support.